you see Tommy Laren's amazing attempt at a joke? <laughs> no, I did not. It was, uh, oh man, it was like, like, Bernie, if you like Canada so much, you're not a tree. Leave. <laughs> Very it's, good. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's some Biff from Back to the Future stuff. It is, yeah. That I is mean, just, that is a sitcom bully burn there. Right. I mean, just complete misunderstanding of how that. It's it's like a it's like a little kid trying to tell a joke, right? Like they know that there's a punchline, and they know that there's a setup, but they don't know how the moving parts fit together. So they just kind of rattle off something, and then they laugh to themselves. Well, it's a it's a little kid brain statement in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, it's. <laughs> It's always amazing to me that, you know, why don't, why don't you leave America business? Um, I mean, has that ever worked? Has anyone ever said, oh, I never thought of that. I think I will maybe take yeah. off and head to Cuba. I'm not sure. You know, uh, I, I think it might it might have started kind of in the in the 2000s under Bush. You know, people saying, you know, the 2004 election and people going, you know, if he gets elected again, I'm I'm out of here. I'm moving to Canada, uh, which everybody rightfully made fun of because that's that's a terrible approach to you know that's, anything that's taking take yeah taking your ball and going home you know um yeah but uh <laughs> I also like how they never apply that logic to anybody else like they're so opposed to like immigration from Central America say. You know, when those people were literally doing that thing, they didn't like the conditions where they were. And so they left and they're seeking out something better. <laughs> right. I remember um, right after uh, Obama was reelected, I saw I used to spend a lot of time just kind of observing uh, conservative Twitter. And uh, I saw this amazing thread that was people, you know, doing, you know, what liberals did when Bush won saying, you know, God, we should you know, this country's going down the tubes. We got to get out of here. And this was an amazing right. thread of, uh, you know, some lady saying, you know, well, me and my husband are looking at, you know, buying a house in New Zealand, so we're going to move there. And someone being like, well, wait a minute, New Zealand, you know, that's that's full of liberals. It's run by the Labor Party. It's got universal health care. You don't <laughs> want to go there. And the whole – it was just a whole thread of these people, you know, kind of floating countries to move to. And the fact is there is there is no country you could go to that has, you know, kind of a high, high standard of living but also is kind of a conservative wet dream because they, they all you right, know, we have the yeah. least we have the least kind of social democratic protections in this country of any place. So there really is nowhere for them to go. I guess maybe that's why I think it's a good burn. God, that's that's an amazing point. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, it's not like they're going to they're going to take off for like Scandinavia. I mean, even even the UK, which is kind of slumping toward, you know, a little bit more nationalism and stuff. They still have like the NHS. Yeah, I mean. You know, the, the UK has a lot of a lot of the same problems we do. You know, our politics kind of kind of mirror each other. Um, but they, they were starting from a much, much, you know, higher tide than we were here when that that whole wave of of privatization started in the 80s. And you know, the NHS right. is like, you know, it's not it's not Medicare for all. It's beyond that. It's, you know, the government owns the hospitals and pays everyone's wages. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, for now. For now, yeah. Yeah, and we'll see what Boris does when he gets in there. <laughs> right. I heard somebody describe him. I don't know. Somebody was trying to figure out which uh, which Harry Potter house 
uh, he belonged to. And, um, you know, my, my natural reaction was like, please just fucking read another book. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but also somebody pointed out that like, it's not so much that he belongs to a house. It's that he's that worm tail guy, like <laughs> in appearance and approach and everything. He is. I mean, it's a, he really is like a, a, a character from some kind of fanciful British BBC show that nerds like. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's got that weird look and the weird way he talks. Just everything about him right. screams parody. Is that the, I mean, is that the thing? You you can go ahead and make Harry Potter references as long as you're talking about a British politician? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, it, 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 <laughs> he does seem like some kind of fantasy character. I, I think that's actually not a bad comparison. Yeah, and still, though, read another book. Or if you're Tony Lair and read, you know, a joke book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's too late in life for her. I think her brain is addled. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me. I don't know how old you are, but um, I know she's younger than I am, which is that's that's dire, right? To be wait, to really? Be how old is she? Deep into that ideology. I I think she's. I mean, I'm I'm 34. Five? I think I'm 35. Let's see. How old is Tony Laren? All right, drum roll here, because I'm I'm shocked. I'm gonna be shocked if she's younger than 35. She is 26 years old. Oh God! <laughs> oh man! I mean, it's it's because I mean, they she... all have that same look. Like everyone who's who's ever every yeah. woman who's ever been on Fox has that same like like platinum blonde, too much makeup, and so it's impossible to tell their ages. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but I mean, that that means that she went straight from, I mean, she must have gone straight from college into grifting. Yeah, there's no, I mean, the, um, the timeline, there's not that much else room didn't even, for it. Yeah, didn't even take like a gap year to like travel or anything <laughs> like that. It must be nice in a way, mustn't it? I mean, to, to just have, I mean, her her way is paid now for the rest of her life. Just, you know, oh, yeah. saying yeah, dumb totally. shit. <laughs> It was kind of funny. She was going to be in Dallas. Uh, this this would have been like eight months ago or so. And uh, I, I got a, a pop-up ad on some website that was like, free tickets to go see Tommy Laren. And I was like, that's pretty close. I, I might just do it just to see the spectacle in action. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I, I signed up for my free ticket. And then I didn't end up going because, you know, it was like, it was like raining that night and I just didn't care enough. Um, so I stayed home and then I heard about it later and it turned out that she only presented for like a half an hour, but before that there was like an hour long, like real estate, like a, like a condo, uh, sort of, sort of, uh, like infomercial speaker talking. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, I was like, no, that's, that's actually about right. <laughs> Man. So it's, it's amazing to me that like, um, these people don't put in more effort. I mean, because I, I, I do my own podcast. I put quite a lot of work into it. Um, right. You know, it's I, I spend, you know, it's almost like a full-time job. I do a lot of research. I, I write everything. Everything's scripted. And uh, it's just, you know, then to look out and it's like she couldn't even put in more than half an hour, you know, of just of just standing up there bullshitting. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I, I think when you have standards, you don't want to get caught out being bullshitting. Right. But – if you don't, then it doesn't matter. You're still getting paid. Um, and that's, you know, that's the difference between, and it's not a, it's, that is not a like left and right split either. Um, no, not by means. Although I, it is more prevalent on the right, I feel like, you know, there's, there's a dynamic 
um, on the right of kind of, uh, you know, there is almost a con man time kind of culture where it's, um, you know, it's it, yeah. everyone kind of thinks that they're in on the grift and, <laughs> right. that, you know, they're one of the smart ones. And it never occurs to anyone that, you know, it's a grift. Someone's the mark. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And as our as our friend John Levitt likes to say, you know, there's nothing that Americans love more than getting grifted. It's I mean, that is that is a national pastime. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the secret of the really good ones is that they kind of make you feel like you're in on it a little bit. And so you don't right, mind sure. so much getting fleeced. Well, it's like uh, like any of the like QAnon stuff, right, where it's it's demonstrably false, like nothing <laughs> yeah. that this guy has predicted has actually come true but it's that same logic that uh like apocalyptic you know preachers use where it's like well it's not that we were wrong so much as you know we had to tweak you know our predictions just a little bit but don't worry you're still on you're still on the inside of this thing Mm -hmm. like you you know we know that this thing is coming and when it does like you're gonna be you're gonna be laughing you know up your sleeve at everybody else who who didn't believe it the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that really is it, I think, uh, the key to it, is that that feeling of feeling like you know something that, that other people don't, I think, is a sure. really powerful lure for people, especially like Absolutely. with QAnon, where it's, I mean, it's it's ludicrous, but from like a purely narrative standpoint, it's a good story. It's a better story than what's really going on. Right, right. I mean, it's, you know, I, I it's, that's kind of a hobby for me, following those kind of conspiracy theories and stuff and tracing them, how they evolve. And it is fascinating to me that it, it's it's fun, you know, because I'm, I'm getting some of the same pleasure out of it, even though I don't believe in it. You know, I, I'm, in a sense, swept up in it in the same way these people are, where it's, you know, I'm curious how the narrative unfolds. And, you know, I, I guess maybe if you're kind of isolated and don't really particularly care about how our politics actually shake out – you know, why not believe in a fun story instead of, uh, you know, a story about kind of a depressing, you know, hellscape? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we saw that, too, with the uh, the the storm Area 51 thing, you know, that, like everybody's so I, my theory is that the reason that the storming of Area 51 really took off was that people are so disaffected with politics and they feel a need you know, this deep need to be out there doing something active, the actual things that you could do are very hard and possibly very dangerous. Whereas if we got, you know, 3 million people together and just stormed the fence at Area 51 to see them aliens or whatever, you know, that feels that feels fun. You still feel like you're part of a movement doing that. Uh-huh. Um, not like, you know, way easier than, you know, trying to go down to the Texas border and, you know, uh, get material aid to uh, the concentration camps or, you know, God forbid, actually try to liberate the camps or something like that. You know, well, that's I, that's I think... dangerous stuff. There are, you know, there are serious people with guns down there. Area 51, it's like everybody saw Independence Day and it's like, oh, they don't even have guards <laughs> posted. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's I think a lot of it, too, is, uh, you know, in past eras of American history, if you were feeling, you know, disaffected and angry uh, and you wanted to do something, there were places you could kind of slot yourself into that were sort of waiting yeah. for people. You know, if you, you know, you would just go down the corner to, you know, the the office or the union hall of, of some organization and uh, 
you know, get involved. And increasingly, you know, people don't, you know, those places don't exist. People don't really have, um, you know, because people are so atomized and there's less civil society, people don't have personal connections, people who are involved. And so no one knows what to do. And it's um, confusing. And their only real reference point to anything is like pop culture, video games. So that's how you get something like, let's all storm Area 51 instead of, let's all storm the boss's house. Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges. Folks, I finally did it. Uh, Rising from my position as a lowly guest on this show, uh, I have finally ousted all of the original hosts. Um, (laughs) Brendan has been sent to a gulag, um, and I'm just, you know, I'm going to run, this is my show now. now, of course, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the event is finally on us. Brendan is moving houses. Um, I hear he accidentally packed himself into a storage unit. <laughs> so hopefully it has air holes in it and we will uh, have him back next week. But fear not, because as always, we have a really cool guest on the program for you. Um, this week, coming also from Denton, Texas, which isn't too far from me, we have Everett, who you may know, uh, lots of people do, on Twitter as Trillburn. Everett, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I think we're going to have uh, a little bit more Texas-oriented show tonight, um, because we can do that. Uh, so, uh, But I, I wanted to start off with first... Uh, so we're recording this on uh, August the 1st, so it's a Thursday. Last two days have been marked by the absolute circus that was a two-day, 20-candidate Democratic presidential primary debate. Um, did you have a chance to take any of that in? I did. It's funny, actually. I um, I was I had something else on uh, Tuesday, so I had to watch... Both debates back to back last night. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Four and a half hours of debate. Uh, my brain was utterly fried, as you can imagine. That's that's like running a marathon. That's nuts. It felt like running a marathon. Like at the end of it, yeah. like I had a slight headache. I was kind of tired but restless. It was like it's like I was getting sick or something. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I skipped the Tuesday night one. That's the night that we'd go and play trivia with friends. And frankly, that was more important to me than um, I, I figured, you know, I'm on Twitter, too. So I figured I'd see all the good stuff uh, the next day. Um, last night, I did do a live stream with a couple of friends of the show, Shane Sheehy and uh, Chris uh, MullerDad69 um, on Twitch, which was fun. That was the first time I've ever really live streamed something like that. But um, so I did see, I did see the one that was uh, basically the centrists yeah. debating. Um, yeah. So uh, I mean, what were your what were your takeaways from it? it, it again, I only saw last night. I thought um, Tulsi Gabbard did an interesting job. I thought Jay Inslee did an interesting job. Uh, I want to come back to some Tulsi stuff because there's there's stuff to talk about. Yeah, there. there's a lot there. Um, well, the first night, I mean, if you had to pick one to watch, I, I hate to say it, but you picked the wrong one. Um, yeah. Because there was, I mean, you know, like you said in the intro, it's a circus. And, 
you know, I'm not really one to get involved and, you know, oh, who threw the best punch and, you know, who had the who had the most pop. Um, Right. But I do think it is valuable to, you know, this is kind of the best chance these people have to introduce themselves to the public. And so I think you can learn something from how they try to present themselves. Um, And, you know, it is what pundits use to kind of do their horse race business. So it affects how the media covers it, too. So sure. Stupid as it is, I do think there is some merit to following it. And um, I think Bernie did pretty well. He probably didn't convince anyone who, um, you know, isn't already on his side. And he probably, um, you know, I'm sure all his supporters cheered at all his lines. But, you know, I think that's he gave the kind of performance that he had to give, which is, you know, be combative, but not, you know, in a mean way. And right you know, push his was issues. he a little more was he a little more lively than he was at the the first one earlier in the spring yes um i i thought that you know i i some people said that he looked terrible in the first one i didn't think that was the case but i think he looks better yeah. in this one um, he was just a little dull that was all it wasn't that he did poorly just didn't i think he didn't quite have the sizzle that people were looking for right and this one he definitely you know was a little more um you know, he took he took swings at people. He he was uh, combative when he needed to be. And and boy, you know, some of these people, you know, because he he kind of had a target on his back. You know, being who he is and you oh, know, being sure. being one of the front runners. And well, um, and also you know going up against uh, Liz Warren, who you know like some parties kind of want to be uh, triangulating them against each other because you know he's the he's the far left candidate. She's the one who's like more left leaning, but more centrist and possibly more palatable. Um, so, you know, that that dynamic was going on. Um, I don't care what people say. I know they say it was a random draw, but I think that was 100 percent on purpose that Warren and Sanders ended up in the same debate and Harris and Biden ended up in the same yeah, debate. Same with Booker and Biden. You know, it, it's oh, v- yeah. very yeah, convenient. You know, if you believe that was a random draw, you know, I've got a bridge to sell you. I mean, it was clearly, you know, and CNN did this very bizarre, like, I don't know if you tuned in. I, I tuned in about five minutes before it started, just so I wouldn't miss anything. And they had this yeah. very bizarre, you know, it was kind of voiced like an action movie promo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was like a, like, like Don LaFontaine, you know, like, <laughs> right. in a world where you've got, you know, 20, like... Yeah, it was amazing. And all of these like action shots of them and all of these chirons flying all over the place. Yeah, just just in case you forgot like that this isn't real and it's a TV show. Let, let's remind <laughs> right. you right before we dive in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, some of the some of the fallout has been interesting today, uh particularly on uh Tulsi Gabbard who um I think she did what she had to do and kind of distinguish herself by going after Kamala Harris's record. And so, of course, of course, today, the discourse on the, you know, with the the hashtag still with her crowd is, well, I think I think Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is this is Russian rat fucking in the in the Democratic primaries, which, um, yeah, our, our friends uh, uh, Will Powell was saying today, like, really, we're still doing this, like, after all of the, you know, after everything that she said last night, like, these people are still not going to look into Kamala's record and figure out if she is actually, you know, the the candidate that she wants. It's like, I hear you, but I don't see why they would, because these discussions have been going on for 
almost two years mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, they clearly don't care. And it, to me, it was just it was very depressing because, um, you know, and I, I wasn't the first one to say this by any means, you know, fresh analysis, but, um, you know, the the what, what Tulsi lobbed at, at Harris was, you know, though, like her or not, that was a substantive critique of her record. And so the, oh, sure. the fact that, you know, you're faced with that and, you know, she she choked on stage. Um, she didn't have an answer, a good answer for it on stage. And then um, after the debate, you know, her only response was, well, you know, you're you know, you're you like Assad and you're a Russian agent. And it's like that is not going to be compelling if she's trying that line in the general election against Trump. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah, I was I was having that same thought that I mean, that that was the other response people had. Uh, which was, you know, like, okay, you know, she said these things about Kamala, but have you looked at her relationship with Modi in India? And have you looked at the comments she's made about Assad? And it's like, I don't think anybody thinks that Tulsi Gabbard's going all the way. Um, so that's that ends up just being another deflection from stuff that absolutely is going to come out in the general election if Harris is the nominee. And Trump is going to be making exactly the same arguments that Gabbard made last night. And there won't be anything really to fall back on because you can't really criticize that guy for anything and have it stick. Yeah, he's Teflon. And, you know, people might say, oh, well, you know, that's a left wing critique and Trump is on the right. He can't he can't you know, she's she's impervious to getting that from the right. Oh, no, Trump is more than happy to attack people from the left when it suits him. And, you know, it's, it's obviously oh, totally insincere. I mean, look at, you know, think back to the Republican debates uh, five years ago. You know, Trump was attacking people for supporting the Iraq war, calling it a disaster. I mean, he, he, sure. he'll say anything. I mean, that's kind of his strength as a politician. So the, the idea that, right. that that's, you know, he's going to somehow play fair uh, when it comes to election time, you know, it's like, you know, have you not been paying attention for the last four years? Right, exactly. It's it's shocking that they think that these things aren't going to keep coming up and that, you know, they really need to have a, a firm answer on some of these questions that Gabbard was asking last night. And clearly they didn't last night, which was um, that was surprising to me because otherwise she's supposed to be, you know, she's like the grown up in the room candidate. Yeah, and I, that's always been my impression. I mean, I, I am not a fan of hers. It's probably obvious, but my impression of her has always been that she's very competent. And, you know, she was attorney general of California, which, you know, that's that is not a do nothing position. Um, you no, know, she's a, very fond of pointing out. a detail oriented job. Yeah, right. it's, it's one of the most powerful law enforcement positions like in the country. Um, and, you know, and. I don't agree with what she did in that role, but she was very effective in implementing her policies in it. So you would assume yeah, that there's some competence there. Right. But I haven't seen a lot well, of that from her campaign so far. Um, maybe too many excellent yeah, I mean, people. And yeah, and apparently it doesn't matter too much to them because, you know, even the next day, her people aren't out there, you know, spinning things and making it look better. They're, they just have gone all into, you know... These were unfair attacks, and like, have you looked at Gabbard's record, uh, which really isn't going to do them any favors, uh, you know, going forward? I think. Yeah. Well, um, we also had also had in this debate um, two two Texas boys. Yeah. Um, I, I I did not see Beto uh, the first night, but uh, Julian Castro was on last night. For all you would notice, um, he kind of. 
I don't know. He just kind of didn't leave much of an impression on me. Really? I actually thought he did pretty well. Um, you know, just again, from this purely optics perspective, um, you know, I thought he projected kind of competence and gravitas. Um, although <laughs> when he... Uh, I don't disagree. I just can't remember anything specifically that he said. Yeah. Now, I, I think he looked good, but I, I still don't really know exactly what he stands for. Well, I mean, I think that's, you know, you've kind of hit it on the head, but that's that's the issue with a lot of these these Democrats running this, this year is it's kind of, um, you know, some of them, there's a very clear rationale for their candidacy. Other ones, it kind of seems like uh, their rationale is, hey, I, I don't do anything else right now. And whoever's the nominee <laughs> right. is probably going to beat Trump. So, uh, you know, this is a good shot to be president. Sure. Um, you know, yeah, um, did you did you have the same did you have the same impression of Beto? Because that's that's kind of how I felt about Beto O'Rourke's campaign uh, up until this point. I missed him in the debates, but that's kind of what I've always felt about you know kind of what he's doing in the race. He I thought looked awful. Uh, he uh, you know he just reeks of desperation now. Um, oh yeah, and I, no, I, think- I mean just just a complete fucking collapse of all of this amazing. Uh, this amazing support that he had for his Senate run, uh, though uh, the Texas Standard reported today that um, I guess Texas donations, uh, basically like campaign over campaign, are up by like three times this year over uh, 2016. Uh, and almost half of that is going to Beto O'Rourke. So hmm. clearly he has a lot of homegrown support. For his campaign, I don't think that's really translating to any kind of national interest in him being a serious contender. Well, that's interesting. I actually would not have guessed that. Um, and I'll say this: you know, I went and saw him speak early in his campaign um, in a pretty, uh, pretty small venue, and I, I actually talked to him a little bit um, afterwards. And I mean, he's always been, you know, he's he's a lib. He's not one of us, but right, he. He's he struck me as very as impressive and talented as a politician, and it's weird, you know. That was probably I don't know two years ago, and it's weird now watching him on stage. And he just has none of that, none of that talent, none of that charisma. Yeah, um, I, I think he just I think he drank his own Kool Aid, <laughs> and he genuinely started to think that he could, you know. He spent he spent a, a year and a half of his life getting pumped up by crowds. You know, feeling like he was this kind of savior figure, and well, he's really good in that sort of like one-on-one forum, yes. right? Or you know, like when he has the ability to, he's talking to a barbecue joint full of people, and he can hop up on the bar and like give a rousing speech. And I've seen, you know, we've seen clips of him having, you know, good, solid, almost leftist sort of uh, perspectives on things like, like racial justice, you know. In the format of a debate where, you know, he's he's a guy who likes to ramble. And I was saying this about a bunch of people last night, like why uh, Andrew Yang, I think, did so poorly um, is that he's a guy who needs to be able to get his preamble out and build some momentum and hear the crowd response Mm -hmm. and be able to, you know, eventually roll into a point when you've only got 45 seconds to talk. That's not going to work for you. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's a good observation. Um, and Beto, you know, I wonder too how much of his, you know, I almost wonder if he got too used to those those small venues, face to face, 
And, you know, it could it could well be that the event that I went to where I thought he seemed impressive, you know, if I had watched a video of that, I might not have had that impression. You know, there, it's a different hmm. skill performing for the camera. And I, I wonder if maybe he's not just too used to those kind of small venues face to face because it, it, it does not come off as right. authentic on, on camera, I don't think. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And uh, I mean, I don't think the camera does him any favors. You know, I don't think you get a whole lot of charisma from him when he is just wearing a suit behind a podium because um, he's a he's a very dynamic talker and he uses his hands all the time. And um, that's not going to work very well if you're just standing there with, you know, do they have notes? I don't know. I assume they have some notes in front of them. Oh, yeah. There's actually usually like really bizarre regulations on the notes they're allowed to bring. OK. Um, like if you've ever dug into the details of these debates, it's like, you know, they're allowed to bring three eight by 11 handwritten only, you know, like so that they're not wow. reading prepared remarks. And it's um, they, they do get down to that level of detail. Uh, I don't know what yeah, the sure. requirements were for this one, though. It's like taking a like a college physics course where you can bring in exactly one note card that has to be these dimensions. Right, right. And, uh, no, you can't bring a magnifying glass and, you know, print everything in like point one type. Yeah. Um, but I, he uh, boy, just every time I see him, I get angry because I think, you know, he could have I think he could have pulled off the Senate race um, against Cornyn and. That's, yeah, that's gonna be just a, a gimme for the Republicans instead, so that he can do right. this, and so we can get one percent in Iowa and drop out. Exactly, and and meanwhile, you've got you know Seema Hernandez who has decided to switch from challenging Ted Cruz to challenging Cornyn, and still is not getting any kind of uh, support from the National Party, even though their guy, the guy that they would have preferred to run against him, isn't going to do that either. Um, just a, a complete mess of organization at the state level um, from, you know, coming from from national like SEMA might actually be able to change some minds if she had that sort of organizational support, because uh, John Cornyn is no less a ghoul than Ted Cruz is. He's just a little bit more, you know, telegenic. Mm-hmm. Well, and unlike unlike Cruz, Cornyn has like. As far as I know, never run a real race in his life. Right. I don't think he's ever been in a competitive election. Um, so, is he a good campaigner? Who knows? It's getting kind of old. Um, I don't think he's particularly charismatic. Um, you know, I, but- I get his uh, I, I get his emails, and every every single email that comes out is basically an attack ad for a Democrat waiting to happen. Because uh, he's always he's he's 100 percent on the wrong side of the issue almost every single time when it comes to actually helping the working people of Texas. But nobody's making that case out there. Well, that's part of the problem, too, though. You know, this um, I read somewhere that this state, um, the the electorate of this state is more different from the actual population of this state than any other place in America. So, like. Washington and Oregon, which have automatic registration and vote by mail, you know, not everyone votes, but the electorate's pretty similar to the general population. Right. Here, it's nowhere close demographically. I mean, this is a – the electorate here is rich and white and old in a way the state is not. This is a pretty diverse, pretty young state. Um, There's a lot of working class people here, but um, they're pretty effectively shut out of the process. And it seems like the Democrats 
uh, unfortunately, are not terribly interested in bringing them in. Yeah, which is so frustrating because when you look at okay, Beto did not run his did not win his race against Cruz, but what happened in that race was this massive flip in judgeships, county commissioners, basically anybody who was running as a Democrat, you know, who was who was anywhere close to having, you know, some support on the ground, like all of these offices flipped uh, because Beto was actually, you know, very inspiring. I, I think mostly because everybody fucking hates Ted Cruz so much, but he inspired this elector to come out. It wasn't enough to get him into the Senate, but all of these other smaller offices flipped, which is going to make Democrats chances in future elections even better. So, you know, if national cared about the state at all, if they, if, if they were interested in actually flipping a state, what they should learn from that is, yeah, you need to be on the ground. You need to have candidates who, you know, and you're not going to win every single time, but you need to have candidates out there who are inspiring people to come out and vote, get the electorate to look more like what the general makeup of the state is, and you'd be doing a lot better here. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. And it's, um, you know, the, the problem is that the the party here is very much in the hands of people who are not interested in doing that. Um, you know, <laughs> right. there's there is a lot of money for Democrats in Texas um, and a lot of really um, strong fundraising networks. Um, and there are not people who, you know, want to see a more populist message. There are people who would a lot of them, they probably wouldn't admit it, but um, would be fine continuing to lose um, as long as the status quo remained basically the same. Yeah. Uh, in other words, they're jobbers. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's a good place to leave that off. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, some some a little bit more local news to you um, that has to do with some some issues that we've talked about before with, you know, white supremacy. So that should be fun. <laughs> let's take a little let's take a little break. We'll be back. Uh, let me turn to a final topic, which is an, an, an area of concern for me which is the group that has called itself Antifa, uh, which, which ironically is short for anti-fascism, and yet they engage in the conduct of fascists. They engage in violent protests, masked men and women engaging in physical violence. We saw recently the Rose City chapter of Antifa in Portland, Oregon, that was assaulting citizens, was disrupting traffic, violently assaulted one journalist so severely that he was hospitalized for brain hemorrhage. Likewise, this weekend, uh, uh, Mr. Willem van Sprossen, another Antifa terrorist, attacked a U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Center in Tacoma, Washington, igniting a vehicle and attempting to ignite a propane tank. Uh, I am concerned that this is not, these are not isolated instance, instances, but rather this is a pattern, an organization that is engaged in massed, anonymous, violent terrorism. So I missed this story, and not because I don't follow a bunch of news all the time, but I think because these, uh, this sort of event is happening so often now that like national news just doesn't tend to pick it up, but... Everett, you were telling me that uh, you had a, a bit of a, a descent of some white supremacists there in Denton 
in the past few days. Yeah, um, you know, I think you're right when you say that it just kind of doesn't get coverage these days. Because when I, I heard about it, a couple friends of mine were there, and uh, when I heard about it, my reaction was just kind of like, "Huh, well, I guess it was kind of our turn, wasn't it?" Um, right. But uh, basically, uh, there was this event here in town uh, last weekend uh, called the Anarchist Book Fair, which is what it sounds like. Um, and uh, it was at a local kind of... They really missed a trick there by not calling it the Anarchist Cookbook Fair. <laughs> I'm just going to say. Just for marketing purposes. Well, that might have helped, too, because the police might have been there then. Um, mm. But uh, so midway through this event... Um, this uh, moving van pulls up and uh, well now uh, just describe the describe the event a little bit because um, it, it doesn't sound like this was some big militant uprising of a bunch of anarchists it sounds like it was like well, it was like at a bookstore and they just had a bunch of literature out or had, how what did the thing actually look like well I mean it was sort of you know a book fair you know picture like a like a pop-up bookstore um, yeah and uh this the scholastic book right. fair all right um, audience remember back to elementary school except now it's like you've got like the communist manifesto out and yeah stuff. and everyone's wearing black um uh, right and it was at a local um i don't know if venue's the right word um but p- performance space i guess um and uh yeah very low-key like you said not uh not terribly militant or anything like that um, they weren't. They weren't in the back mixing up Molotovs. No, or anything like this that. is not. Uh, this is not that type of anarchist. Yeah. Um, so this, you know, this event's going on very placid. Apparently, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't go. Um, but uh, midway through, um, these this move this big moving van pulls up, and uh, about a dozen guys jump out. And um, well, if you- we're picturing like so, so we're talking like. Like in a Die Hard movie or something, where like it's it's like a, a rider truck backs up and the big you know big door opens and a bunch of dudes standing in the back all hop mm-hmm. out. And I think you know, like a movie is kind of the uh, the operative word there. You know, there's always kind of a yeah. little bit of a cosplay element to these things, um, real as they sure. are. Um, but so these guys jump out and they're you know kind of if you saw footage from Charlottesville, you can pretty well imagine what these guys looked like. They were neo-nazis wearing their neo-nazi outfits um wearing masks uh they were carrying those uh those like street fighting shields that they they bring to their events sometimes yeah those those plexiglass right um yeah and uh it was very theatrical actually you know they had like a lot of lights and smoke and stuff i mean what? Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's video of it, which I I don't necessarily. You did you did not you did not mention the lights and smoke. That's how, they brought a fog machine with them. Uh, I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, it's hard to what tell the from hell? the video, but like there was some kind of artificial because I you know Denton is not London. It's not it's not foggy at night here. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah, not def- definitely not in the middle of July. And uh, so they were you know shouting their slogans and you know just kind of. You know, it's very almost like a performance art element to it, honestly. Um, you know, and there are the bigger, louder noise, and they kind of attracted all the attention. And, you know, I think that they probably imagined, you know, the Antifa thugs would spill out of the venue and they would have a street battle. Um, right. But the people in the venue were very smart. And, you know, listener, this is what I encourage you to do if you're ever in this situation. Um, they basically you know, didn't do anything. They, you know, my friend who was there said, I just kind of watched them from the window until they left. 
Um, you know, no one, no one came out of the venue, no one engaged with them and they just kind of did their thing and, um, piled back in their big truck and drove off. Um, and it was, you know, it kind of rattled people a bit and, you know, no one, no one knew that was coming and, uh, it was a little, you know, disturbing because there was kind of the, the implied violence with those shields and of course their rhetoric. Um, but you know, nothing more came of it. Uh, and then, Uh, okay. But, but before you, before you continue with the, with the story, because there is more to this, um, I, I wanted to bring this up. There was a thread today that I thought was really interesting as somebody who, um, works a lot with, uh, like men's issues and on online radicalization and stuff. I thought the thread was pretty on point. Um, and they were talking about, uh, like red pill, like toxic masculinity sort of ideology. And the the point that they brought it down to was that that sort of that sort of identity requires opposition. It requires um, some sort of, you know, somebody that that we're either subjugating. Well, it's that's mostly it. Like it requires somebody that we're subjugating and that, in fact, not engaging with that sort of mentality is the best thing that you can do with it, because the fire goes out if you don't give it that kind of oxygen. Do you think that's about the same when it comes to this like white identitarian nationalism? Um, you know, the not not the ideology broadly, but the guys who show up thinking that they're going to get in a street fight. Is it the better thing to do <laughs> like what what they did at this anarchist book fair to just just ignore them? Um, not hoping that they'll go away, but rather not giving them what they what they're looking for that like justifies why they were there to begin with. Yeah, I think that that's I, I agree that's basically on point. Um, it's just you know there is a difficult line because you know like you mentioned you don't want to be just standing back and hoping they go away. Um, right. But I think you have to be careful when you are thinking about how to respond to these type of things to not you know because that. The kind of uh, there's kind of a ritualistic element to their violence. Um, you know, they, they kind of want like a baptism of fire um, to feel like that they're part of the group and that violence binds them together. And so I think you want to be yeah, careful. And that's, to- that's what they've been sold on too. that. If you come out like, you know, the enemies of, you know, the white identity will come and they'll they'll try to put you down. Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't happen, you know, I, I'm reminded of that. The great clip. I don't remember uh, exactly which counter protest this was from but um somebody who was a member of the far you know the the alt-right i guess or one of the proud boys or something standing there in the street trying to tear up a sign that said like you know no hate in our city i don't remember what city it was but and instead of anybody trying to stop him from tearing up the sign it was made out of that uh like corrugated uh yard sign plastic Mm -hmm. stuff that you really need a cutting implement to cut it because it's made right. for, you know, being outside for a long time. So he's just standing there, like, you know, putting all of his effort into it while a group of people stand around. They're like, come on, buddy, you're doing so good, you know, and just like just the utter, you know, humiliation of like not only not getting a fight, but also a bunch of, you know, a bunch of girls standing around him going like, Come on, dude, you can do it. Oh, come on. You're not going to give up now, are you? You know? Yeah. And that's, you know, because kind of one of the core elements of fascism is that idea of like, 
you know, strength overcoming strength. And, that you know, it's a small, dedicated group of, you know, stormtroopers, black shirts, whatever you want to call them. And that, you know, because they are tough and they're strengthened by their ideals, they can overcome a greater force because they're always a minority right. in society. And so it's about them kind of building up the audacity to escalate their violence and then seize power. And so I think people who want to confront fascism, which we should all be trying to confront fascism, I think, um, should put yep. some thought into ways to confront them that do not play into that. Because that is that is really important and central to their ideology, um, that idea of confrontation and violence. And Yeah, street clashes. I mean, that's that's how they recruit. Because if you don't have any power in your life, like what you can do is go out and beat up a bunch of Antifa mm-hmm. in the streets. And that, that gives you a group identity. Like I saw, um, I, I didn't go to this, but um, a couple folks that I, I know from uh, DSA up here did go to this. Um, there was a some, you know, neo-Nazi alt-right, whatever you want to call it, event down in Austin. And mm-hmm. uh, they went down there and uh, the, the, the far right was all geared up for that to be a big confrontation you know they had their their bats and their whatever you know to, to fight with um but yeah they got their their flagpoles right. where it's just you know an american flag taped to like a giant fucking curtain mm-hmm. rod and uh but what it turned out the what the protesters did was they brought drums and noisemakers and like vuvuzelas and all kinds of crazy oh, loud crap and just yeah. drowned them out and it completely ruined their event and they were totally deflated because, you know, they're fine getting their event ruined if they can break some heads. It's a win for them almost. But to have their right. event ruined by just like noise and people being like, we don't want you here. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. People collectively blowing a raspberry. basically, right. And that that completely took the wind out of their sails because that's not what they're that's not the kind of opposition that they're prepared to overcome. OK, so. Um, that so that wasn't the end of the story when they no. all hopped back in their their U-Haul and and drove on. No, and this is something that actually I don't think got covered much in local news even. But they didn't all go home after this. They like you know they had somewhere to stay in Denton clearly, um, because the next day they went out to um, the square here, which is kind of where where everything happens. Um, and they were, you know, out flashing their swastika tattoos and, you know, in a big group being kind of aggressive with people. Um, sure. And I think, you know, they they didn't get the confrontation they wanted the previous night. And so they were like, well, we got to go make one happen. So let's go to where there's people and just piss people off until someone does something. And, uh, you know, they went to some bar and they were, you know, a bunch of loud guys with swastika tattoos that attracts attention. And so inevitably, after a couple minutes the manager came out and asked them to leave. And so they, uh, one of them just decked the manager in the face and uh, called him an anti-Semitic slur. Oh, with a glass, I believe, like had a pint glass in his hand when he, yeah, he him, which I mean, glassed that, him, yeah. that's not, that's not just decking somebody that's, that's going for, I mean, you were trying to draw blood with that. Yeah. And the guy from what I've been told uh, was messed up as you would imagine. Um, sure. So, yeah, not great. And, yeah, uh, no, not you know, the, not fucking great. And the at square all. here, I mean, people here spend a lot of time. You know, we're we're a very Norman Rockwell town in that sense. People spend a lot of time on the square. That's where businesses are. That's where things happen. Um, you know, big events are on the courthouse lawn. Um, 
Yeah, and you're, I mean, it's it's a college town, too, so you've got, like, you know, like, rows of bars, and, you know, lots of people go out and enjoy a nice evening, you know, walking from place to place. Yeah, and so to, to have it there, um, you know, on, on one of the bars right off the square, I think that really hit home for people here. Um, so on Tuesday, we had a, a rally here in town just to kind of, you know, people were rattled, and I think a lot of sure. people kind of felt the need to... You know, they had their show of strength, and I think a lot of people felt the need to, you know, show our strength as a community that we don't stand for that here. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to that. It was, you know, what you might expect. There were a lot of kind of well-meaning but not terribly informed or active uh, kind of older liberals. Um, but it was it was a good event, and it was nice to... You know, there were there were maybe 10 of these guys and on the courthouse lawn on Tuesday, there were, you know, a couple hundred people, you know, including some city councilmen, uh, clergy, you know, people who are important in this community. And so it was it was nice to be reminded, oh, that's right. These are 10 people and we are, you know hundreds of people who showed up, you know, not to mention all the people in the community who couldn't make it for whatever reason or, um, right. But, uh, yeah. And people not showing up is not necessarily a tacit endorsement of, you know, what went on. Right. Right. I do. It was a little dis- disconcerting to me that more, we didn't get, you know, the whole city council should have been there. And as it as it yeah. was, we only got like the two left leaning ones. And to me, that's a little, disconcerting and just kind of you know shows you how, how shitty the politics are in this part of the country that you know right. you literally cannot get mainstream republicans to come out against the nazis you know they can't yeah, be bothered against violent assaults by actual avowed nazis I mean, you know, imagine if imagine if that was a you know quote-unquote antifa guy who had you know decked a guy with a with a pint glass yeah, in his sure. hand and then you know knocked him cold and cut up his face you know, that would be national oh, even news. The left and... leaning, yeah, e- yeah, and even the left-leaning city council members would have been at the rally against Antifa violence. You know, which uh, you know, which feeds into we were talking the other day, uh, you and I about. You know, we're we're seeing these clashes all over the country, and uh, the the ultra right, you know, the white nationalists, the white identitarians, absolutely want to bring this fight to your hometown and yet you have you know people like ted cruz standing you know grandstanding on the on the senate floor talking about how we need to criminalize antifa uh activity you know declare antifa as if that's an organization which listener it's not (laughs) it's not it's a it's a tactic it is uh, a loose coalition of ideologies, but there's no there's no Antifa Pope or anything <laughs> like that. Um, so you know, trying to declare Antifa a, a an organization like you know ISIS or Al Qaeda or something like that, and say this is a terrorist organization, what they're really talking about is just criminalizing being anti-fascist, which is much more terrifying. Oh yeah, and actually, you know. The more you delve into that bill, it, the worse it, it gets. Um, there was a great article. I, I made sure to write down the author's name so I could give her proper credit. Uh, her name was Je- Jessica Kwong. And she 
is you know an expert in these matters i guess i'd never heard of her um but she she brought up the fact that uh, if you read the bill it actually does not just talk about antifa it also talks about quote affiliated with antifa people and quote left-wing activists what the hell does that mean so this could be yeah this could be the pipeline defenders this could be anybody associated with blm it could be i mean this this rally this you know very law-abiding you know liberal rally that i went to on tuesday could even i think technically be classified as right affiliated with antifa i mean it was against certainly right yeah, certainly a, a completely peaceable anarchist book fair, for instance. Yeah, I mean, it's and the the other element of it that's, you know, a bit odd in a, in a, in a sinister way is that, um, you know, this this is this exists this in our country, this designation of a terrorist organization. And it has all kinds of consequences for, you know, it's a it's a federal crime to send money to an organization on this list and it's um sure you know provide material comfort for them that's a federal crime you know it's um it's a real designation but it's the executive branch who who does who handles that it's not a matter matter for congress there is no thing congress has any say over that is you know declaring someone a terrorist so it's a very odd it's not clear what it would actually do which you know on a certain level it's like hey maybe that means it'll do nothing that's great but I think we both know if, you know, there's a very vague law that kind of has no clear implementation, that sort yeah. of means it can be implemented any way anyone wants. And that's right. chilling. Well, and also, I mean, it also the, the law being operative may not necessarily be the thing. You know, the, the idea, I think Ted Cruz, I mean, the guy's an asshole, but he's not an idiot, <laughs> yeah. right? That's, that's, what's, that's the problem with Ted Cruz. Um, I, I think he knows the way the the various governmental powers operate. So what he's doing is effectively just signaling that he's on the side of the white identitarians, you know, and doing that in a public forum, you know, unparalleled by anything else. I mean, on the on the floor of the goddamn Congress, he's out there talking about being anti-fascist is the same thing as being a terrorist and you know the 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 way that you know john cornyn does the same thing um uh governor greg abbott has also come out you know against uh antifa violence um which is that's just rallying up a base that kind of likes to see this Mm -hmm. happen you know they want to put leftists back in their place and the way you do that is you turn, you know, people who don't necessarily follow the news and certainly don't read like theory or anything like that, just against the general idea of Antifa. I think it's also uh, about, he, um, you know, getting the Democrats on record because you know, it's a lose lose for the Democrats because it's either they have to support this insane bill that has no clear implementation, <clears throat> makes no sense and is, you know, just absurdly overly broad or they have right. to oppose it and then be on the record as, oh, you're in favor of the Antifa terrorists. Um, yep. And I think, you know, it's, it's just pure, you know, sim- symbolic, um, you know, red meat for for the, like you said, these people who, you know, they're, they're one of their deepest, most cherished fantasies is something, you know, some kind of civil war where they get they get to bust out their arsenal and start, you know, gunning down oh, college absolutely. students. Yeah. And all these people who watched uh, The Walking Dead and think that, you know. 
having a rifle means they're the one person who's going to survive the the upcoming apocalypse yeah. or whatever. Yeah, the, um, the- you know, and this this all this, the whole issue really came home for liquid flannel over the last couple of days. Um, and I, I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot just because I don't want to get him in any more trouble than he is right now. But uh, our friend and sometimes co-host Nick uh, just simply literally the only thing he did was change his Facebook profile photo to an Antifa flag. You know, the the red and black flag with anti antifestish action um, and has been going through. Uh, some level of hell over the past couple of days with people trying to dox him, people trying to, uh, for some reason, they think he works for the city that he lives in. So they've been calling the city, trying to get him fired. They've been doxing his parents. Jesus. You know, and it's uh, the the way I want to tie this in goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, not engaging with these people and not giving their their need for violence any kind of oxygen i think fundamentally white supremacy and you know the people that antifa stands uh stand opposed to generally are kind of cowards that it's not really it's not an ideology that lends itself to any kind of uh like proactive action they need somebody to react back to them um, or they'll just, you know, try to use official channel. They're, they're basically calling the managers right now, assuming that the managers are more fascist than they are anti-fascist. Uh, and it's it's been incredibly frustrating. Uh, we we almost had Nick on the on the program tonight, but he is going to lay low for a little while until this thing blows over. And, you know, I, I think that I think those two things kind of go hand in hand in the sense that you know the the anarchist book fair did not go out and give the fascists what they were looking for um probably the the better thing is to just let them kind of look sad and pathetic as much as possible which isn't to say don't punch a nazi but you know doing it in self defense gives you much better cover for you know, when when the news is going to cover what happens, you know, it's 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 a better story for the left when it was it was the fash at a bar punching a dude for no fucking reason at all, you know, than you know, these these kind of blurry lines where people are going out looking for a fight, you know. And that's what Antifa is about anyway, is community defense. Not yeah. not necessarily you know, not not picking the fight, but standing in front of the people who can't fight back on their own. I've known over the course of my life, uh, a lot of people who've done Antifa stuff. Um, and I don't think I know a single one who's actually done kind of, you know, the stereotyped image of Antifa, you know, where you're yeah, the, going like, toe to toe, black block, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess presumably some of them, you know, might have done it and just not, you know, smartly not told me about it. Um, <laughs> sure. But, you know, there's it is mostly not about that. And um, I know a lot of people who've done no, very good fact, work. Uh, it was uh, Emily Gorchensky, I think it was, um, had a had a great thread the other day about um, what Antifa actually is. And like Black Block, the, the Black Block tactic 
and and the street fighting is is such a tiny little portion of that because otherwise what you're talking about is you know communities like our friends in in the the omaha antifa chapter are you know they're they're doing community support stuff they're running strike funds and getting food to kids and providing you know they show up at at protests with first aid kits in case somebody gets you know hit with a glass or something like that uh it includes people who are doing you know, legal defense work or trying to bring lawsuits against um, against laws that systemically discriminate against people of color and things like that. You know, Antifa, again, it's a philosophy. It's not a group. It's it's are you opposed to fascism? And there are a million different activities that you can do that fall under that umbrella that aren't black block tactics of of you know getting in getting in fights with the proud boys yeah and, and you know a lot of their big successes you know are not you know like i mean i know people who do stuff like trying to get their events canceled which is not like interesting or sexy really but right. you know it's pretty easy to you know track these people if you know what you're doing and then you know call up you know some bar and say oh hey did you know that you know, these these 15 people, here are their names, are, you know, members of the Patriot Front and they're going to be meeting in your bar on yeah. Monday. And, you know, it's they, they have a lot of success getting stuff canceled, getting getting get people kicked out of uh, businesses where they recruit. Um, For sure. And that's that's really important stuff. And uh, it's not terrorism. <laughs> no, it's nowhere close to terrorism. No, I mean, simply calling a business owner and saying, are you sure this is the kind of business you want? Is this the message that you want to broadcast to the community? I mean, that is that is straight up capitalist. Yep. You know, it, 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 capitalist activism, right? I mean, that's it's basically it's threatening a boycott or something like that. But you know, you would think that these free market defenders would be all about it. Well, the fact is, I mean, I don't want to downplay the threat these people pose. But they are a minority, and a much bigger proportion of the population are, um, you know, disgusted by them, or at the very least, don't want to be associated with them. Right. And that's important, and that's good, and that's something that people who are opposed to these people should be using. Um, you know, I think, you know, thank God we're still in a situation in this country where we can rely on most of the public being on your side if you're confronting them in a smart way. Well, I think you're totally right. And that's a, that's, that's actually a a pretty high place to bring that conversation out on, you know, with a, with something that really is very dire and depressing, but um, let's, uh, let's leave the discussion there. Let's take a little break and um, see if we can't, you know, bring this episode out on an even higher note than that. Sounds good. Scary sight in Denton. Those people chanting are part of a hate group. The video has many concerned. Matt Howerton is in Denton tonight. And how are people responding? 
Well, Cynthia, once that video surfaced, there was just a feeling of disgust here in Denton, something that dozens of people wanted to confront this evening in front of the Old County Courthouse. A crowd of over 100 people marched around the building chanting equality for all, Denton for all tonight. Their chants sparked by that video seen online. A white nationalist hate group called Patriot Front was near downtown Denton Saturday night, demonstrating with flares and chanting Reclaim America. The group scattered when police got there and then the next night at Harvest House, the bar manager, a manager was hit with a pint glass after he asked a few people displaying swastika tattoos to leave. Now, police are looking to see if both incidents are connected. In the meantime, those people who stood up tonight, they declared that this kind of hate is not welcome in their city. Denton is a town of love. Let's keep Denton that way. To declare that hate has no home in Denton is both a lie and it is an erasure of our history. We need to do things like take down that Confederate monument right behind us, which is a monument to the very white supremacy that we need to reject. Now that last protester was referring to the Confederate soldier memorial outside the Old County Courthouse here. A number of activists have pushed to get it removed for years, but Denton County leaders haven't budged. While police investigate these recent acts of hate, there is a scheduled protest for that memorial that will be on Sunday in Denton tonight. I'm Matt Howard. Well, Everett, thank you for, you know, bringing us up to speed on on those events. It is it is really depressing to have that kind of thing happening in such a nice community as Denton, but it also sounds like it went as well as it possibly could have, you know, under the circumstances. So, yeah, not for the guy who got glassed, but um, uh, think, right. No, I think as a community, we handled it pretty well. So I'm 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 optimistic about it, despite the fact that it was. Uh, well, not fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, but, you know, showing showing that kind of community resiliency to this sort of thing, I think is, um, I mean, that's that's very much a leftist goal also. So it's nice that it's nice that that happens. So, yeah. so for for high notes this week, I've got a couple. Uh, the first one is is pretty quick. Uh, the DSA National Convention is happening down in Atlanta right now. And. I don't know what they do with the DSA convention exactly. Um, I imagine it's lots of working groups and meetings and, and boring stuff. I actually went That's last no year, if you're curious, I can tell you. Oh, yeah, yeah. What happens? Um, you're in a big, gigantic room with like a couple hundred people, like close to a thousand, maybe mm -hmm. over a thousand, actually. It's been been two years now. Um, and uh, basically, it's Robert's Rules of Order. Um, if you've ever been in a meeting with one of those, with sure. you run under those rules, um, and you do a lot of, uh, you know, raise your card if you vote yay, and then raise your card if you vote nay, and it's like eight hours of that. Well, I'm not super familiar with exactly what they're doing at the convention in terms of uh, substance, like what they're substantively voting on this time, but a high note uh, for me is that our good friend John Levitt did a lot of the design work for uh for a bunch of the merch that they're they're selling there um to to raise funds and we'll make sure to put some of this stuff up on the liquid flannel twitter because john is an amazing artist he's absolutely in love with 
you know, like turn of the 20th century, like anarchist art and stuff. Um, and he's, he's come up with some really clever, just beautiful stuff. Like the, you know, one of the, the posters from the convention is just, um, this, this amazing thing that if I didn't feel like it would make me a poser to put it up in my house, cause I wasn't <laughs> at the convention, I would absolutely, absolutely buy one of those, but, uh, we'll, we'll make sure to put those, those designs up on Twitter. Cause, um, yeah, cause we love John and, uh, real proud of him for getting his, getting his work out there. So that's awesome. Uh, on, on a more personal note, my high note today, and it's just coincidental that it's happening exactly today, but today is the fourth anniversary of me founding men's lib on Reddit. And I'm, I continue to be just incredibly proud of all of the work that we've done to create on Reddit of all fucking places, <laughs> a place, a place for an actually healthy, productive, solutions oriented, inclusive men's issues discussion um, that is rapidly approaching. It will probably hit it by uh, by next week. 80,000 members. And I can remember back to, you know, the first few weeks that we were active and I was celebrating every every 25 new people, you know, <laughs> to, talking to friends, like, yeah, I can't believe it. We've got like we've got almost 1100 members at this point and we're coming up on 80,000 at this point and it's still going strong. So, yeah, I'm I'm incredibly proud of the work that we've been doing over there. If you are skeptical uh, which is understandable given the way most men's issues uh, conversations take place. Uh, I do encourage you to, you can at least follow us on Twitter at Men's Lib Reddit. Uh, it's not what you're thinking. Um, this is a, a very, very inclusive, very intersectional, very feminist friendly sort of discussion about the issues that men are facing as a group and ways that we can go about um, helping out with those and supporting people in need and also shutting down some of the more toxic parts of, of that discussion. So, um, yeah. And if you want to check it out, it's also, uh, just men's lib on Reddit. And so happy birthday, men's lib. That's my, that's my big high note. Well, congrats, man. It's really, you know, if someone had told me before I encountered you that this community existed, I would have thought that's not possible on Reddit, yeah. on the internet. Um, and it's cool that you guys are out there because there, boy, there are not a lot of options for people who are, you know, struggling with issues like that. And it's cool yeah, that no. you guys are an option for people that is not completely toxic. I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, shout out to some of our comrades, um, you know, the the Good Men Project and Next Gen Men up in Canada. Like there are people trying to make this conversation happen in a way that doesn't exclude anybody and doesn't turn it into an us versus them narrative but i agree with you dude like i didn't think it was going to succeed either or i thought if it succeeded it was going to be a very small community you know that it would be like the self-selected 800 people on reddit who want to have this conversation without just yelling at feminism all the time um so i i've really been blown away by the response we've gotten and you know the community support and like the community is great because it is self-selected, but it turns out there are a lot more people out there than I was expecting um, hmm. who who want to be part of that part of that uh, that conversation. So, um, yeah, incredibly proud. That's that's definitely my high note. Yeah, how about you? Well, uh, 
It's funny. My first one is actually gonna gonna strike a similar note. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I have a podcast, uh, Age of Napoleon. It's a history show about the life of Napoleon. Um, and last month we passed uh, seventy five thousand listeners, which um, nice. You know, just like you were saying, I did not think it would become that big that quickly, but um, it has. It has, and uh, I'm really proud of it. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, and anyone anyone who's listening who also listens to mine, thank you, um, because it's the listeners who do it. They you know spread the word. Um, yeah, that's outstanding. We'll definitely uh, we'll we'll definitely drop some links in the uh, show description and on the Twitter uh, to Agent Napoleon. And uh, now for a little less selfish one, um, I was really <laughs> encouraged uh, seeing uh, Bernie Sanders taking all of those folks up to Canada to get their prescription drugs filled. Right. Um, you know, you know, we were just talking about the debates and, you know, we we talked about how it's all spectacle and it's a circus and it's all bullshit. And seeing that was a good reminder that this stuff does matter. It makes a difference in people's lives, or at least it can if, you know, the right side wins um, and that maybe there is a chance for things to get better and that if people take their own destinies, their own lives into their hands and get behind a movement for real change, we could pull it off. I mean, why not? It can't get any worse, right? Yeah, you know, and and as far as uh, Sanders himself is concerned, uh, you know, I think for a, a, a longtime senator like him, I think it's also important to see somebody putting their money where their mouth is, you know? Yeah. Um, similar to how we see, you know, various progressive-leaning politicians making trips down to the border camps here in Texas. Uh, and actually, you know, then taking what they have learned and publishing them and talking about it and saying, you know, this is this is not what should be going on right now. Um, yeah, the uh, the insulin trip was. I don't know, I'm still pissed off about Tommy Laren messing up that joke because really because <laughs> really what she should have said was, you know, if you like Canada so much, make like a maple and leave, you know, oh. but she's. Uh, perfect. It would have been perfect, right? Well, so. she's not a great comedy mod. We've established that. <laughs> <laughs> well, ever it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's nice to have you know a, a, another Texan, or not that either of us are actually from Texas, but that's where <laughs> we live right now. So that's that's all anybody cares about. Um, it, it really has been terrific to talk to you, and I hope that we can get you on again in the future. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, totally. Um, where can people find you and, and access uh, the stuff that you're doing? Uh, well, on Twitter, of course, um, at Trillburn. Um, although I don't, I've got too many followers. I don't think I need more followers <laughs> on Twitter. You should listen to my podcast. Um, it's called that The Age the, of Napoleon. That if is you, the most uh, offensive humble brag I've ever heard. <laughs> it really is annoying, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, but uh, Age of Napoleon, it's, you know, if you can find this podcast, you can find Age of Napoleon. Um, it's uh, quite different in tone to this, obviously. It's serious and historical. Um, right. But it's also fun in its own way. And, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And I'd love to have some of your listeners come check it out. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, absolutely go and do that. He's he's a, he's a smart dude. And I actually did listen to an episode today. And I don't even care about Napoleon, but I found it, you know, just fascinating. So. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. Um, listeners, of course, you know that you can follow us on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. On, uh, 
Where was that sentence going? <laughs> That's alright, I'll edit all this out. Instagram, Reddit, where else you guys? Man, I just completely flaked out there. No, it's alright. Um, <laughs> we won't have one this week, but uh, if you enjoy what we're doing, um, you can get bonus episodes at our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. So, it, you know, if you like listening to us talk, ordinarily we'll have bonus episodes for you every week, and we, we appreciate your support. I'm on Twitter at MattTheGoit with a W, my co-host Brendan Absent is on Twitter at Brendan Williams with one L. And Everett, thanks again, man. This has been fun. Thank you. It was fun. All right. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.